Good Looking Out, a podcast about what to eat, watch, read, and listen to, because life is too short to waste time and money on bad shit. I'm Eric. And I'm Jason. So, since this is our very first episode of Good Looking Out, we wanted to take a few minutes and talk about why are we doing this podcast. So, the other day I was digging around and I saw this stat about, by rough calculation, even someone who's a, a voracious reader, who's basically reading constantly, is only going to get to around 5,000 books in their lifetime. Now, reading is one of my favorite, favorite activities. I'm super passionate about books. And when I'm not reading a great book, I kind of feel a little lost. Like the world, there's, I'm slightly adrift. And when I find and I lock into a really great book and I start going, I get immersed in that book, it, the world just feels like it's right for me again. And um, when you extrapolate that out to the things we're going to be talking about on this podcast, books, food, film and TV, and great music. You're only going to have so many meals in your lifetime. You're only going to be able to listen to so much music. You're only going to be able to experience so much in this lifetime. And ideally, we're here to help you find the things that are right for you, find great things, and avoid the bad shit. For sure, yeah. And I think I think part of it, too, is like you and I were talking about is, you know, you and I travel a lot together. And conversation usually always comes around to one of these topics of which we our heated discussions happen yes and absolutely <laughs> I, I take the, I take great satisfaction in pointing other people towards uh, great things in discussing passionately with close friends why you love a film a book food ramen cheese steaks whatever it is it's so the much best. Yeah. it's the best yeah, there's, there's hardly anything better than being pointed by people you trust towards great things and pointing those people towards new and great things. Exactly. So hopefully we can point all of you listeners to good shit because you're you're making mistakes. We're guessing. <laughs> we all know. Everybody does, right? Which is, and I think you reach out to people that you're, you know, even on small things because, like you said, that same thing, five thousand books in a lifetime. Like, the, your days are numbered. Don't don't waste time on them. Probably even more numbered than you know, <laughs> or are willing to admit. <laughs> yeah, or willing to admit anyway. So so let's let's do it. Let's, let's jump let's in. get right into it. So the first section <laughs> this week, um, since this is the first one, uh, our very first section. Maybe we'll rotate these from week to week just to change it up. But we're going to start out by talking about food. Yes. So on a recent trip together, we uh, found ourselves in lovely Philadelphia for the National Dog Show. Uh, just by happenstance, City of Brotherly Love. Uh, and as soon as we hit the airport, we went straight into downtown Philly. and Car, we, boom, yeah, straight to the corner. We headed towards uh, the two most famous cheesesteak places, Pat's and Gino's. We decided to do a head-to-head, back-to-back taste test. It's cold as a bitch. It was really cold out that night. And for anyone who hasn't been, there is no indoor seating at these places. You are eating your cheesecake, cheesecake, cheesesteak. <laughs> You're eating your cheesesteak and your cheese fries at a picnic table on the sidewalk. Yeah. So there is no, no indoor love. There's nothing. It's basically no. like... Pre-food truck days, you're walking up to a window, you're ordering your cheesesteak, they hand it out the window to you, and you're eating right there on the street. Now, wasn't this, this was, was this your, this was your first time at, at either of them? 
My first time in either. At Absolutely. Well, your first time in either. And I had been, um, actually the year before, it, this was my second time at both of them. And, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so the year before at the National Dog Show again, um, obviously made my way there. Um, had some free time on the way to the airport, or from the airport. Hit them both. Um, and... It was, it was a little gross, I'm not going to lie. Like, I mean, just the amount of eating was a little shameful. It was a little embarrassing. So bad, in fact, that I actually, like, because I was bringing one home for Beth, for my wife, and I, I ate the fucking cheesesteak I was supposed to bring home for her. Like, late night, like, I just I just took it straight to the face. Like, I, But at any rate, my point is, is that, so on my second, on our second visit, I, I, I swapped favorites. Okay. Interesting. No. So on this trip, r- refresh my memory. The first one we went to was, was Pats. Pats. Yes. So we hit Pats first. So Pats, you could say, had an advantage because it was we were hungry, fresh off the plane, ready to go. Yep. It, yeah, it did. It had an advantage. And talk a little bit about the way you ordered the cheesesteaks oh. for us, just oh. so everyone. Knows. Oh yeah. So right. So level playing field, right? Um, we. I'm normally a provolone. Um, wit. So, provolone cheese with onions. Um, this time, I don't know, the way the wind was blowing, whiz, we went whiz wit. So, yeah. and we did, and we had a couple other people with us, and I think everybody did the same. Whiz wit across the board four times, couple orders of fries. I'm sure we dumped cheese on those as yeah. well, because why oh, not? Yeah. And then, um, fucking Cokes, whatever. So, whiz wit, um, hit, the, hit the picnic table outside, and um, then remembered the killer condiment bar that's on the sidewalk, yep. which anybody who's been there knows yep. is awesome. Those big chili, uh, cherry peppers. Yep, hot peppers. Fucking killer. You just yep. get, you know, get whatever you need, and you're going. Um, it was, it was, it was killer. It was a badass cheesesteak. The bun, um, everything. So I, I guess so. The difference, um, Pat's. I think most. I don't know. I don't even know what most Philly people like. I feel like they probably it's. I don't know if there's even a consensus. Probably most people are like, oh, actually both of them suck, and the best one's somewhere else. And people who live in Philly obviously know better than we do. But we're talking about the two famous ones. Pat's um, is considered kind of the older, like little bit dirtier, nastier, fly by the seat of your pants deal. Geno's is a little bit more buttoned up. Geno's is way shiny, big, big. Neon lights, the whole thing, 100 yards away. Pat's small, kind of walk up and, you know, keep it moving, get the hell out of here. So I remember when we rolled up on Pat's and we got the cheesesteaks thinking, this is incredible. Yeah. Really, really good. Um, We, uh, and, and there we split, we also split two, we split them. We just went a half because we knew we were going to eat at Geno's too. Oh, that's smart. And then smart. at Geno's, we changed and we all got, just went full in. <laughs> that's right. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, like enough hedonistic pussy slobs that we are. <laughs> just went full, full out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I remember at the time thinking when we went that I initially liked the Geno's one a little better but then on further reflection and when we talked about it a little more maybe I was swayed by the crowd I, I kind uh, of flip-flopped back really well I'll tell you that that's like what I was saying is the first time for me that I went Geno's was a clear winner 
I don't give a shit. Like, they're, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm usually going to, you know, want the dirty kind of, like, you know, older establishment one. Everybody wants to like that one better. I liked the first time Geno's, but this time for me, Pat's was way clear. And um, it should be known that we ate Geno's, so there's a bar across the street. We dragged those cheesesteaks in there, sat down, beer, you know, whatever, and it was a little bit more... It was a different experience. A little more civilized. I mean, outside, you're just mowing that fucking By the time we got those cheesesteaks from Gino's, I was freezing my ass It was so cold. I was ready to be inside. We had been out of the car at that point for like 45 minutes, yeah. These are cash-only establishments for anyone. Anyone who is going to go do the same thing, have cash on you. Yeah. Because we had the hardest time finding an ATM to get cash. I will say, the thing that I disliked about Gino's was the whole... Um, right-wing, ra- semi-racist shtick. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing with Geno's. And, and I don't know that, yeah, it's, it is semi-racist. I don't know the full story, so I'm not going to pretend that I know exactly what's going on. I, I know he's very supportive of veterans. That's a huge thing for him. Cops. Cops. He seems to have the vote from he's, all the local police. Yeah, you know, so he's... Yeah, whatever. I mean, that vibe is a little... It's a little weird there, for sure. I mean, you're a fucking cheesesteak place. You need to take a stance here. Like, just make a sandwich, for God's sake. Right. You know, but whatever. I mean, for me, it was... So they've got... Where Pat's is chopping it up, and, like, everything's kind of blended in there. The steak is twisted, turned, burnt in some places, kind of, you know, a little bit more chaos happening there. Gino's is a bit more clean on the bun, like the steak lays a little bit flatter, you know, um, and I don't know, it felt a little, this time for me it felt a little too premeditated or whatever, I don't know, I don't know, it was, I mean, it's a fucking premeditated, I don't know, but I mean, it was, it had about 30 seconds of premeditation, <laughs> they were cranking those things out, let's, seriously, let's yeah, not lie. and what is it, it's 12 bucks or something, it, yeah, these these are they're expensive. One of the guys we were with our, our good buddy Mark H was going on a tear about how cheap the beef is and how they're just making a Such killer bullshit. killer profit. And you're like, shut up, man! Like we're here. What do you care? Yeah. It's, if it's if it's eight dollars or twelve dollars, for God's sake. He was against the thing the whole time. That's a different story. He was full of shit. Like he didn't even believe in the power of the cheesesteak at all. He thinks it's a bullshit proposition, which. Right, it, that's another another argument. All right, so Pat's, Geno's, I think we're both, this, this visit at least, coming down on the side of Pat's. However, last week, here, <laughs> yeah. here, here in Minneapolis where we live. We're not making any friends with this comment, <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> we, we went to a local uh, establishment, but I believe it's a nationwide chain, called yeah. Jersey Mike's, and we got cheesesteaks there. And this is, this cheesesteak... Uh, we got the Big Kahuna cheesesteak. Big steak, Kahuna, 56. Talk about, talk about what's on the Big Kahuna here. The Big Kahuna is, um, is so eye round, um, thinly sliced. Uh, Jersey Mike's is, you know, I don't know, it's a, analogous to a, a, a Subway. S- slightly more upscale Subway. It's a step up from Subway. They, they slice their meats fresh, yeah. right? Um, Good, really good bread. Killer bread. Like, and they bake their bread there. Yeah. So um, so in, in the Big Kahuna, you got, 
you got your eye round, you got um, you got your mushroom, you got your onion. They add in jalapenos, which people are gonna people are gonna cry about that. But it's it, the thing is, is they're not like hot. It's just another. It's just hot enough to give it a little bit of a something in there. But it's it's safe to say we went for the big Kahuna, but they had a lot of cheesesteak options. In my opinion, kind of bullshit options. Way too many chicken cheesesteak options, which. <laughs> Shouldn't even exist, as far as I'm concerned. No, 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 no. Um, yeah. But so if you're a cheesesteak fan, but you're not a fan of hot peppers or hot spicy food, they're going to have something for you either way. They got you covered, yeah. I think the thing that was surprising is that, you know, it's a simple sandwich, right? It's steak, it's cheese, and it's a bun. You know, you got onions, whatever, what have you in there. So really, it's... You, know, you hesitate to say the quality of the ingredients because, I mean, it's not quality, but it's the right type of ingredient. And they got it, man. That fucking bun is fresh. That steak right. is, there's a there's a shitload of steak. There's a shitload of cheese. It's a legitimate cheesesteak. It's really fucking good. Yeah. It's killer. And so this, this brings up the whole question about these um, regionally owned foods. So there are, I'm sure, plenty of people out there that would say you cannot get a decent cheesesteak outside of Philly. You have lived in New York. Yep. You've also lived in San Francisco. I also lived in the Mission for many years. Yep. There are a lot of people that would say you can't get a Mission-style burrito outside of the Mission. There's a lot of people that say you cannot get New York pizza out of New York. So where do you come down? First of all, address the cheesesteak issue, but then let's talk about the whole regionally owned cuisine. All right. So there's a difficult, I don't know. So the thing is, is like the cheesesteak, I feel like is a, is simpler than um, than a burrito. It's simpler, I think, maybe even than a slice of pie. Somehow, maybe not. It's not more simple than pizza, but. Um, for some reason, I think the burrito itself, like a mission-style burrito, I personally have never experienced it outside of the mission. I've, I've had killer burritos. Yeah. You, I mean, you could argue there that you're getting, they're scooping half of a fresh avocado into every burrito. And yes. outside of California, where you don't have access to that produce, you're going you're gonna to have a hard time getting that. On the other hand, there are simple things that people do that just screw it up. Like not doing the, the tortilla on the flat top grill. For God's sake. If you're doing the tortilla on a steamer or whatever the hell it is, like Chipotle yeah. does or whatever, you're just not getting the same sort of flavor out of the burrito. Texture, you're yeah. losing it, yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I don't know, like, so the, I mean, San Diego, right? Killer, killer fucking Mexican food. The best Mexican food. Even better than Mexico, for God's sakes. I mean, not really. Like, American Mexican yeah. food. San Diego is amazing, but... Very different burritos, though. Way, way. It's a different animal. You kind of You're either talking, like, shrimp, a lot of shrimp or seafood Fish, in, in the burrito, yeah. or you're talking about they have the whole chorizo with potato burrito thing down. Which Those are so delicious. Good. So good. But we're talking... That is very different than the mission. You're not getting potatoes in a burrito anywhere in the mission. No, sir. You are not. You are not. If you are, if you are, it's. I've never seen it, and I've been to every single taqueria in the mission, so I've never seen it. So, all right. To get back to your question, can you get an authentic New York slice outside of New York? You can get killer slices all over, but is it the same? Uh, no. Can you get a, a mission style burrito outside of the mission? Not really. You get killer ones, but not the same. 
Um, maybe it's because you're eating it in a the dirty ass taqueria, and it's, it smells like piss on the sidewalk, and that's part of it. You know what I mean? That could be part. I don't know. It's it's. It could be. I mean. There's something about the style of salsa and stuff, though, that they oh. just don't do the, the same way other places. Well, that's totally true, too. Like so the green tomatillo, like, the avocado. We're, like we're that's talking, a... It's the region of the cuisine that these people all came from the same place and brought these things. And then at a certain point, you're talking like one place imitating another place because that's what's popular. And that happens, yeah. So I think like that green salsa that you're talking about that happens in a Mission Burrito, like that is something... Who knows where that originated, but it's something that is ubiquitous now in the mission. There's different levels of it being done, but that is all over. And it's killer. And I mean, as you and I know, we've talked about we've tried to recreate it. And we bring it back in jars, right? Yep. I mean, it's... So as we're talking about this, we should tell people, best burrito in the mission. Um, where right. are you going? Um, all right. So we, uh, we've always agreed on this. And I might, I don't know. So Farolito is, Farolito is, I think, is the best burrito. Right. El Farolito, 24th and Mission. Yes. I mean, El Farolito, 24th and Mission, is as good as you're going to get. That said, La Taqueria is, their burrito is slightly different, almost as good, but everything else at La Tac is way better than El Farolito. So it's like if you if you want, if you know what you're looking for and you're looking for that one particular burrito, mm-hmm. you, you and there's one stop, you're going to El Farolito. Because yeah. you're getting that green salsa, you're getting the burrito that yeah. you know and love. When I'm in the mission, I'm a burrito guy. Yeah. If yeah, I'm yeah. going to a taqueria and I'm not getting a burrito, I feel like I'm ripped off. Since I moved out of San Francisco, I've switched more to tacos because burritos yeah, yeah. just aren't the same. No, Burritos yeah, are sort tacos. of like ruined for me. Thanks to the San Francisco mission. So you should. You were a vegetarian in, in the mission. I was. Yeah, I used to do vegetarian super burrito all the time. Super burrito. So you got like a big old blast of sour cream in there. No sour cream. What? Sin crema. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. That's why. That's what you get as no, a vegetarian. No, that's the. No that's sour the cream. That's. No. Uh. Uh-uh. No. I. I never did sour cream. Healthy. I mean, now when I go back, I do carnitas. <clears> I do, yeah. You know, all sorts of stuff, and it's. Good. Fucking A. So good. Should we, do we even want to be talking about slices? I don't think, I, I honestly feel out of my element talking about slices. I don't fucking yeah. know. I mean, East Coast slices, let's just say, there's something unique about East Coast slices. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Slices and pie, I, East Coast, I don't know what it is, but. People say it's know, water. Could be fucking the water. Could be. Some guy in San Francisco was shipping water out. Did you hear Seriously? about this guy? No. In North Beach, yeah. He was shipping water out. I think that lasted three weeks. So he's like, water is heavy. Fuck, that is a great idea. Um, but, yeah. All right. So I, I it'd, be, it'd be better if someone just made him the dough in New York and just shipped the dough. Yeah, you know? exactly. It'd be like almost the same weight. And it would save labor. There's a place. So Fat Phillies in the mission on 20... I don't know. It's like it's over near that other burrito place. The um, what's the one? All Cancun. The, all the hip, no, the hippies oh. go to the vegetarians love the place. It's the the vegetarian burrito. Pancho Villa. No, it's on like twenty fifth or twenty sixth Valencia on the west side. Um, fuck, I don't, I'll never remember that. Oh, pa- Papalote. 
Okay. So um, across the across Valencia from there is Fat Phillies, which they and he made a real go of it. And that's that's where I got my cheesesteaks for years. He would fly. He was flying in rolls, whatever that roll is. Well, there was a place right by. I lived at Twenty First in Valencia. There was a place right. Jay's cheesesteaks. Jay's cheesesteaks. That's a f- legit cheesesteak. Yeah. Killer. I used to go there all the time. He had a really good vegetarian. Yes, sandwich he did. He that did. Was there. I don't know if it, I can't remember if it was seitan or what it was, but it was like I actually have had really that good. a number of the and vegetarian. they're garlic fries. They're and, fucking and garlic Jay's fries. I forgot about those. Super good. Killer. Jay's cheesesteak is really good. And I actually, yeah, I felt, I remember when Fat Phillies moved in, I was like, I kind of felt bad because I'd always been going to Jay's. Yeah. It got to the point, I ordered the same vegetarian sandwich, which I can't remember what it was. It was like, it's either tofu or seitan or something like that, but like kind of uh, seasoned like a cheesesteak or something. Yeah. I ordered that and the garlic fries every single time. It got to the point where when I call... I had to go and pick it up. He'd be like, "Okay, Eric, I'll see. You. I'll see you in a few minutes." <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. Because <laughs> I just ordered the same thing. I tend to like do that with restaurants. Like I associate one specific dish with a place, and when I think of what I want to eat, I think of that dish instead of thinking of like, "Oh, I'll go to this restaurant." You I've do do up, that. I've gotten a little, that, yeah. a little bit better about that. Like as time has gone on. But, yeah. But yeah, I tend to order the same thing over and over. And he was across the street. He was across the street from my apartment. Were you healthy? Were you like fit and oh. slim? And I mean, I went through periods. I, I, there was a point where this this is totally gone. It's like a um, city college campus now, but there's a basketball court, and I went through yeah. a period where I was just playing basketball with like all the mission kids oh, yeah. all the time, and just like running up and down the court, and it was like a great way oh, as yeah. like a poor grad student to get exercise. It Burn was right down the street from my house, and it was super fun. We just play street ball with like whoever was there. And oh, for sure, yeah. I sucked, but I got better over time. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. So now, now you know here. I don't know. Oh, fuck, we can go on forever about this. I think we're I, we get we covered off on this. I mean, this is a it's a big topic. It is a big topic. Maybe we'll talk more about it another time. But I think we should move on to the next category. Let's move on, which is books and reading. Books. So you and I share a passion for crime fiction. Very much so. Crime fiction, mysteries, noir. Yep. No doubt about it. No question. And so on a recent, also on a recent trip together, I told you I was reading uh, the latest from Dennis Lehane, The Drop. (laughs) Yes, you did. Yeah. And bought it. Um, We found, found, remember that bookstore? Yeah. It was like this crime bookstore near the hotel. Yep. Yeah, we were in St. Louis in the central west end. There's a crime bookstore right around the corner from the Chase Hotel. Tiny little place. It's very small. I forget the name of it. But the owner, we were lucky enough, the owner was there. And she she told us how old she was. And I, I want to say she was in her early 80s. And she was beautiful. And I felt I had a crush on her within like 10 minutes. I was like, oh my God, look at this lady is got it. I was crazy about her. Um, so yeah, we grabbed a few books and um, and I grabbed the drop. Um, back to the hotel. You you had read it a couple months prior. Uh, no, I was, oh, actually, I was, I was still it. finishing. I you think were I was just finishing. I was fi- right. I was reading on the Kindle, and I was fifty percent of the way through at the time we went to the bookstore. That's right, you were. Yeah. So I bought. Yeah, bought it. Back to the hotel. Had to. I think we were working the next day. Yeah. So back to the hotel, up until three o'clock in the morning, just burning through the fucking thing. And and it was one of those deals where it was like, I've got, like. 
20 pages left, but I gotta, like, I, I ran out of gas and fell asleep and then woke up and I was like, and I tried, <laughs> I tried to get to the lobby, like, before you to, like, I'm like, I can get this done, I can get through this before we get out and I was trying to get through it and I had, like, fucking 10 pages left that I just knocked off on the plane. It was just, I devoured that book. I mean, it was, like, it was seriously, like, a, you know, the intake of that was just as much in as fast as I could. Yeah. Um, and so, in full disclosure, um, as big of a crime fan as I am, like, you're, you are, you have a much wider, you've read a lot more crime books than I have. And I always look to you for advice on stuff. Um, my, my experience is more in, um, I don't read a lot of, I haven't read a lot of modern crime stuff. Right. So, didn't know, I mean, I knew who Lehane was because obviously Mystic River and, a bunch of other stuff. He's super famous, um, and I've got a I've got a stack of four other authors that you've recommended sitting at home that I haven't read yet. But this was that was the first Lahane book I've ever read. I I was actually the same way for a long time. It wasn't until I moved to Chicago and I happened to make friends with um, a guy who asked me to write reviews for a magazine that he unlocked modern. This one guy named Peter unlocked modern crime for me. Really? Because I was reading like, you know. Uh, Williford, Hammett, Chandler, David Goodis, all these like super, super classic crime authors. And I was like, there's no one, to me, um, modern crime was like, as far as I got into it was like maybe Michael Connolly. And there were like yeah, a yeah. few names here and there. And I read the stuff and I was like, this stuff just isn't my cup of tea. Yeah. There was no one who was like really doing it with kind of the edge that people like and Lahane and Pelicanos have. And this guy that I happened to meet just like unlocked the world for me. And all of a sudden, like authors, because once you make these connections and you read interviews with Pelicanos or Lahane and they're talking about other authors, and you pick up those authors and those authors are recommending and reading. I mean, this was before like the days of social media and stuff like that. So yeah, it's yeah. much easier now. There were things like Goodreads to sort of like make all these connections or and Amazon hadn't tightened up their recommendation engine. It's like, but once you unlock these things now, you can just go and see what everyone else who's reading that is reading and that's a good way to sort of like go down the rabbit hole. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, but isn't it amazing though when you, like for me, and it's been that way for across all mediums, like you meet somebody that's super influential in advancing your knowledge of a certain thing and you never forget that person. Absolutely. Right. I mean, this guy, Peter, we went to Barnes & Noble, I remember. This is prior to get Kindle, ebooks, any of that kind of stuff. And we just walked through the mystery and crime aisle. He was just like, this guy, Philip Kerr, boom, writes these historical novels set in World War II. There's a, they were all in this Berlin crime book, which, by the way, is like one of the greatest crime books of all time. Three novels, one set just prior to World War II, one during World War II, and one post-World War II. And it's this detective... Uh, Bernie Gunther, who's hired to do missing person cases, like before everyone knows, like about the Holocaust, kind of during when Germany's just a wreck no and the shit. Nazi yeah, yeah. party is like ruining everyone's lives and making everyone's lives a living hell. And then afterwards, when there's as much, sort of everyone's trying to pick up and put their lives together. For a long time, he's since picked this character back up and written some subsequent novels. But these three books, I carried this book through India, I, when I went to India for work, I carried it all over and no just shit. like read these books and they're amazing novels, super good. Anyone who's more into like historical oh, or like 
kind of noir meets sort of spy sort of stuff, but it's very, very much in the style of like a Chandler or a Hammond or a classic detective sort of thing where it's like all a very simple missing person thing to start off, but then it just gets into this big, you know. And what's so amazing about his books is there's this incredible sense of place. Like I've never been to like these places, but he talks about the German streets and all this this area and the historical architecture in a way like you see it. You are on that street, you're on that corner. And he talks about it like he's oh it's maybe 25 years old. Okay. You know, it's definitely not like it is. This guy's still alive. Got it. Yeah. Still alive. And for a long time, he wrote this, which was his big hit. And then he he kind of tried to write some spy books, some stuff set in Russia, and none of that stuff really took off. So I think he was like, you know what? I'm just going to go back to this detective. Like this was, this is the thing that really clicked for me that people really love. So I'm going to revive that and do some more stuff with him. I'll be honest, I haven't gotten as much into the more recent novels, which is. Back to Lehane, one of the things I appreciate about Lehane, every book that guy's ever put out, super solid. Yeah. You know, yeah some yeah. of the best crime writing fiction across the board, including his very first book uh, in his uh, Patrick Kenzie and uh, Gennaro, Kenzie and Gennaro yeah. detective series, A Drink Before the War, which he wrote as a grad student in like the first draft he wrote in oh, like two weeks or something. No like shit. That. Because that's the one that, that's the last one. I picked that up, I think, there as well. Or I, I don't know where I got it, but I fell off of that for no good reason. I just didn't, I didn't finish it. I, it was great. I just got distracted and, and I haven't finished it yet. But that one's on there. Um, so f- this will probably be, um, to anybody that knows Lehane, um, obvious, you know, observations about him. But I think for me, like, having reading The Drop, as you know, a complete virgin to Lehane and um, just wanting a great crime novel, I'm blown away by his dialogue. Yeah, it's so fucking good. And I he, and he's writing in Boston. And I'm from right outside Boston, so just like the way that he uses contractions and the way that he puts sentences together, like if you're from there, I don't. I have no idea what his background is, but I mean. It, the authenticity is spot on. Like it's like you can hear this guy, and it was and it came through in like all of the all of the ancillary characters too. Like you know, like the not that they're ancillary, but I mean, just kind of the scenes like with the brothers. The one that sticks out is the brothers who are like about to jack the bar, and they're like doing lines in the car. The way they the the the, the back and forth between the two was so. So fucking like genuine. You're like, I- I'm sitting in this. I've sat in that car before. I mean, <laughs> kind of hearing these two idiots talk to each other. Like you can, yeah. you know, so real. Absolutely. I I think that's where creating realistic characters is one of the places that he really excels. And I think he also writes young characters really well. Like all the young characters in Mystic River feel really good. And if you've never read Mystic River, you've only seen the movie you're doing yourself a disservice because even yeah. the first page of Mystic River, I would put up against something like Nabokov's Lolita as like as far as the opening paragraphs and the opening page being like the writing style and how, how much he packs into those opening paragraphs. It's fucking brilliant. It's mind-boggling. I, so I read Mystic River like as soon as the drop ended. I mean, I, as soon as the drop ended, I think I had, like I still had like a... Um, I didn't have to shut the phone off on the plane yet, so I bought Mystic River and read that the entire you know flight home right after finishing the drop and and same thing devoured that one. 
Um, and yeah, I mean, character development is everything. I mean, that guy is just all over it. It's incredible. And yeah, and like finding, like, surprise. I mean, the thing in the drop, like, I mean, we're, we're t- we don't give a shit if we're spoiling this for anybody, do we? Or I don't know. Maybe we should. Be yeah. sh- I mean, I, whatever. I, maybe I won't. Then I won't. I won't spoil anything. But it, he does. He does some like super surprising, like things with characters. Like it, it's. It's just, I loved it. Yeah, what is it, 120 pages, something? Yeah, it's very short. It's short. It was, uh, I think originally, I want to say either a short story that he wrote for an anthology, a crime anthology. One of the, like, yeah. Beth, and it had, had got interest from, I don't know, uh, whether it was a publisher or what it was, maybe there was interest from studios in making it to a movie, because I think he wrote the script and the book almost simultaneously. So okay. it could be that someone was like, oh, I'm interested in... At this point, everything that the guy does is, like, optioned immediately. For sure. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, I mean, for sure. Did, so should we talk about the movie? Yeah, you've seen the movie? Yeah, have you? Okay. So, yeah, uh, I saw the movie, three, I don't know, three, four weeks ago. I watched it on demand. Now, the big complaint that the our uh, lovely friend from our St. Louis crime bookstore where you picked up the book had was that they switched the setting from Boston to Brooklyn. It, she's 100%. It's horseshit. She's totally right. It's it's bullshit. I, and I don't... Was there, what's, what do you think the reason is? I mean... That's a good question. It's setting. Like it's setting. She's she's Brooklyn there. is... I don't know. Good question. Know. Who knows? I don't know. I mean, it's like... Maybe they didn't... Who knows? I mean, who knows how you make a decision like that? Maybe they're like, you know what? Fucking Ben Affleck's got the shit corner yeah. in the Boston crunch. Or who knows? Yeah. Just, or James Gandolfini, who this is James Gandolfini's last movie. It by is. The way. It is. Uh, he plays cousin Marv. Cousin Marv, original owner of the Drop Bar, uh, and uh, maybe Gandolfini. What the only way he wanted to be involved was if it shot in New York. Was it who good knows? casting? Was Gandolfini? I don't think so. I don't either. I don't either. (laughs) Okay, I'm glad to hear you say that, because I don't think it was good casting either. I love Gandolfini. Yeah, not to speak ill of the dead. No, no, no. I love him, but it wasn't great for me, like, having... He did a good job with the part. He did. He did. But but it could have been cast better, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, so, yeah, so the movie... um, it, you always feel better when the author writes the screenplay, right? I mean, yep. you always feel better because you're like, or at least somebody was doing this the right way. Like, at least it was how they decided to interpret it. So you feel better about it. And there were certain things that were um, that were required to be able to unfold the story um, because some things, you know, there, there's tropes that you can use in a novel, obviously, where you can you know, re- reveal something later in the plot line and, you know, and make the connection where in a movie it doesn't work that way, mm-hmm. you know. And um, and that was the case here. I mean, there was a concession. I feel as though it was a concession because it was such a great part of the novel. Um, but it's, you know, there was a concession made there, but the casting was okay. It's all right. The movie's fine. It's good. I thought Tom Hardy was actually pretty good. Oh, the dude. Yeah, no, yeah. he's great. He's actually, he was actually better than good. Yeah. And who is that guy? He's a British actor. He's, it's funny because he was in a, uh, one of the early things he was in, he plays this uh, British 
gangster in a period piece that like each episode jumps like five years there's a crime boss who's in jail and he's sort of running a crew outside and he's just a complete and utter son of a bitch in this thing oh he's a rapist and all this stuff and you still somehow feel some sort of bizarre sympathy for this guy and he's just knocked it out of the park and he's done um a couple he's obviously he's had some very high-profile roles lately. He was Bane in the Batman film. Yep. He's a great actor. A lot of people compare him to, like, a young... Or, like, he's coming up in, like, the school of Gary Oldman. Really? Yeah. And he's about to play it's Mad Max in the remake. Holy fuck, that's him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jesus Christ, yeah. So, he's, he's a big actor at this point, and he's also... And this is something we're going to get to in our next point. He plays a brilliant Orthodox Jewish gangster in Peaky Blinders. Fuck, we're talking about that? I, all right, I can't wait to hear about it because I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Um, so do we wrap up on the drop here? So, yeah, any last words on the drop? Awesome really book, Lahane. If you haven't read Dennis Lahane, do yourself a favor. Go out and get any of his books. His historical books on Boston and the police strike and all that. If you're a fan of Boardwalk Empire, any of that stuff that has more like historical sort of gangster, cop, crime-related stuff, his historical novels, out of sight. Anything that has Dennis Lehane's uh, name on it, you're not going to be sorry that you picked it up. Yeah, I, I would. It's that's clear. The guy's amazing. And maybe on the next podcast we'll talk about other authors where that are a sure bet. Other For authors sure. where you see their name, instant buy. Yes. Yep. So next time we'll tackle some more authors that you can go to where you just want to read their whole catalog. In the drop, I mean, the movie is killer. Like, you're not doing, it's not, I don't think this is one of those deals where you got to read the book before you see the movie. Like, whatever the fuck. Just read the book because it's fucking killer and it takes eight hours. Not even. What does it take? Yeah. If yeah. even. So read the book. Um, but see, the movie's worthwhile too. Yeah. For sure. It's Absolutely. Good. It's, it's solid, one. for yeah. sure. All right. So now uh, for the, t- the TV and film section, we thought we'd talk about the new content creators that are emerging here in the form of Netflix, who's been absolutely killing it on the original content front, yep. but also Amazon with their Prime. Uh, if you're a Prime member, they have all sorts of original content for you as well. Yep. Most notably, uh, Transparent, which if you haven't seen, is a killer drama developed by the Duplass brothers, who all have done a couple interesting films. Uh, there was a film with Mark Duplass and Elizabeth Moss that's like a sort of bizarre exploration of modern marriage and relationships um, that's amazing, that streams free on Netflix. Uh, so if you search Elizabeth Moss, it's the two of them on the cover in a swimming pool. Uh, I can't remember. I'm struggling on the title now. Maybe I'll look it up here in a second. But, yeah, I don't, yeah. Um, Transparent is the story um, of, it was created by uh, this woman who's, uh, in real life, her father came out as transsexual in his 60s. Oh, fuck, yeah, you told me about this. I, yeah, I haven't seen that yet. It is awesome, super solid. And what I, a great concept, right? I, I know we're in this new, it's really about the family, but it's, it's also about him. 
Uh, you know, the, the father character obviously factors very large in this. They kind of go back and forth between Curran and the family and the backstory of how he lived in the closet. And, you know, when the kids, the kids were young, you see the family when they're young and he's struggling to, as many men of this generation did when it was, you know, we're talking about a time when it wasn't even acceptable to be gay, let oh, alone transsexual. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, now as society is moving forward, and it was really interesting to watch this show because I think this show is going to do a lot for people's understanding and empathy towards uh, transgendered uh, people. Yep. Um, it's a really, really amazing family drama. It's funny. It's insightful. It's really well done. And transparent? Transparent. Fucking A. I gotta check it out. I have an ex, my ex, her her dad came out in his sixties as a transsexual. Same thing. Well now we have people like Bruce Jenner. Yeah. You know, who are, you know, publicly it, making a transition. He's gonna do a TV show about his transition. And so yeah. hopefully it brings it some, really? Yeah. Hopefully it brings some Shocking. awareness. Of course he is. And compassion. Fuck. Yeah, that family. They're Jesus looking for any sort Christ. of TV show spinoffs. Yeah, you almost wish it was somebody you liked. Um, anyhow, um, transparent. So is transparent. Who 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 made that? Is that is that transparent? Netflix is as Am- Amazon is Amazon. And okay. so they're the second series that uh, I've been watching from them that's really good as well is Bosch, which is yeah. You've been you you sent that yeah. over. I I haven't seen it yet. Harry Bosch. The famous Michael Connolly yeah, character. Yeah. We talked about Connolly a little earlier. Obviously, this is right in the zone for me and you. Yeah, it's a it's a uh, crime show. Uh, Bosch is an LA detective. His uh, played by I think his name is Titus Williver or something like that. This, yes. The guy who is Swearingen's like right hand man. Uh, not Dan, but the other guy from the saloon. Holy shit, that's him. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I never put it together. That's absolutely him. It's, yeah. He, pl- he plays the lead. Jimmy. Awesome, awesome guy. And his partner is Marlo from The Wire. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And the guy I saw that in the, the police lieutenant is also, uh, I want to say his name is like Lance something or other, uh, also... I'm like failing my IMDb role over here. Well, who, how uh, is that? How is that? It's, it's I've only watched the first three episodes. It's great. I have to say it's really good, really well shot, really well acted, really well executed. It's a like more of a police sort of procedural, which is all Connolly stuff. Is or at least a lot of it is you know more in that sort of vein of mm-hmm. like more either traditional detective or p- police procedural stuff. He's got a couple of series, a couple of main characters. Um, I. I haven't read a, read a ton of his novels, to be honest, but I have nothing but respect for the guy. He cut his teeth as a crime reporter, and his book that he wrote that collects all of the stories he wrote as a crime reporter is awesome. Oh, so God, I, I can highly recommend that to anyone. But huh. as far as Bosch goes, like I said, I'm only three episodes in. Super solid. Does it feel, really great. Does it feel like... Amazon is putting a good size bet as far as production quality and like because they know where they know the arena they're playing in. Oh, absolutely. Really? It's so they're they're shooting like locations. They're doing. Oh yeah, I think they're doing. I think their model's really smart because what they're what they do they do it a little bit different than Netflix. They shoot pilot episodes and then they have people rate them and based on how many people watch and That's how they right. rate the pilot episodes, then they greenlight them as series. 
That's right, yeah. So that's what they did with Transparent, and that's what they did with Bosch. I remember watching Bosch and being like, all the stars wrote comments about, I would definitely watch this if you made this, like, this is great. Go make it, yeah. Yeah, you should totally make it. And fortunately, they did make it. I, I think they, like, have a comedy series coming out. I know they've got a bunch of stuff in the works. Hmm. They're also doing movies. And I think their movies are going to appear in theaters, and you're going to be able to watch them on Amazon Prime. Which Interesting. It's a, a whole bit, new model. A little bit different of a model, yeah. I mean, that's a, but, another crazy world, but I love that they're getting into it. I mean, there's... But I would say, you know, the as, the, as far as aesthetics and production value, it's as their stuff is as good as, as any of the Netflix stuff. The best of the Netflix stuff and the Amazon Prime stuff, I would put neck and neck. No shit. Okay, well, that's I, I'm glad to hear that. They're, they're putting a ton of media behind it. So if you're anywhere, like if all the shitloads of pre-roll. Yeah. I just remembered the other Amazon series, which I watched the entire first season of, which is totally brilliant, is Mozart in the Jungle, which is a oh, half-hour yeah. comedy about the New York Symphony. Really? Is that what it's about? Yeah. And it's got a Gabriel Garcia Bernal and uh, as like this rogue conductor from Latin America who comes and takes over the symphony. It is brilliant. When's it set? Super good. Set in modern times. So it's set in current Manhattan. And for anyone, this series will make you appreciate classical music much more than you already do. What a great area to do something. Absolutely. Nobody knows shit about that world. Yeah. Right for drama. Right for drama, right? Oh, fuck yeah, I mean, Absolutely. Totally. Yeah, uh, uh, Mozart in the Jungle. Mozart in the Jungle, Transparent, and Bosch. I gotta get on the on the Amazon tip, man. I don't do it. Like, I feel like, so they have apps. I mean, there's an iPad app, mm -hmm. which that's where I'm watching shit anyway. Might as well get on there and watch it. Um, yeah, you can watch it in anything with a browser. Of course honestly. you can, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, yeah. I get, to, I get to get on the Amazon tip. Well, what about Netflix? Have you been watching any of the Netflix original content? Well, yep. I think probably their greatest work is being done with Lilyhammer. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking... I, I, all right, so I watched... I, I started... I saw the first, like, when it first came out, and I was like, oh, my God, how fucking bad is this thing going to be? And before I knew it... And it was as bad as I thought it was, but I still watched the whole fucking season. Like, I have no idea. I have no idea why, but I kept watching it to just see, like, how are they going to try and dig out? What are they going to do? How do you... Because there's something interesting there, too, as, you know, as a person who, like, you know, is super interested in, like, crafting a story and seeing how it goes and, and always trying to problem solve. Always trying to figure out how you, how you turn around a, a mistake or... Like, that's kind of weird for me, like, the, the fascination was. I, I watched the first ten minutes of the first... I was, I was, of course, interested. This has got Stephen Van Zandt, is yep, that yep. the, obviously, uh, who played Silvio on The Sopranos. Yep. Obviously very interested because of that and was, like, a mob mobster who goes to, like, hide out in Sweden Norway or, or, yeah, Scandinavia. Yeah. Interesting concept. I got like 10 minutes in and there was like a gunfight that was like the most <laughs> so unrealistic thing I've ever terrible. seen. It was so terrible. Yeah. It, it felt like, I was like, this is the thing that they rushed onto the scene that like they told people they were going to do content 
and then they just like crap this thing out in a month. Oh and I was like, if this is a sign of the times, they are in trouble. Yeah, they're and, fucked. And since then, I think they've blown everyone away with all the stuff that they're doing. I'm embarrassed to say it now, because at the outset, we were saying like, listen, your days are numbered. Be, be judicial with what you're watching and spending your time on. I watched a whole fucking season of Lily. <laughs> so you need to be listening to this podcast. <laughs> I do, I do. I should just fucking wait out there until you're done and then listen to the fucking thing. Um, but all right, so yeah, the rest of Netflix, um, House of Cards, right? House of Cards, Brilliant. killer, yeah. killer. Um, you know, and they had. I think that one of the things, like from a production standpoint, I love about that is that they had the opportunity to choose their level of production quality there. Because, I mean, it's completely character-driven, um, you know, and they could have done that a lot cheaper than they did. Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't. They did it. They were super tasteful. They had great locations. They had, you know, it looks great. Um, and it's super stylistic, too. Yeah. You know, I mean, breaking the fourth wall is great. I love that all of that, um, and it feels very DC. It's yeah, and the the whole fourth wall thing, and that was something that they pulled from the original British series about oh. about Parliament. Um, I don't know nothing. I know nothing about this. So yeah, the way that um, they they decided to do House of Cards was they noticed like a high correlation between people who'd watched the original series, the British series and people who like Kevin Spacey. So they just use their algorithm to basically like predict massive success. Fucking hell. Oh, and I think, I think they, the, other, uh, the other thing was that they liked, uh, these people like Fincher movies. Oh, so are you they, serious? Yeah, they put those three things together, and it was like <laughs> a, a smash success, which is one of the advantages they have, is they have tons of info about oh what God. their community likes and what's trending from a taste standpoint. So... House of Cards is great. Do you, are you an Orange is the New Black fan? All right, so um, so Weeds um, was um, I w- I liked Weeds a lot. Like for better or for worse, you can judge me however you will. Um, I liked Weeds a lot. Probably I'm a huge fan of her. Like she's awesome, super cool. Genji Cohen, you mean? Um, no. Oh. Um, the woman who Nancy, played, yeah, uh, who played. Now, yeah, I'm such a huge fan. I can't remember. Her name. <laughs> um, big supporter of music. Like she's super cool. That show I thought was great. It, it was. Um, it be. It was one of those. Like I watched it during a period where I really needed a, like, I needed a binge watch of a shitload of shows. So I watched Weeds like. The first season, boom. Second season, boom. And um, Mary Louise Parker is like able to, like she's riveting. Like you, can, you know what I mean. She's beautiful, of course, but she has this ease of sort of, you know, just kind of relaying this character that is great. I don't know how versatile she is, but she's made for that role. So anyway, so Genji Cohen. I have an assumption. I know nothing about her, but I have an assumption that she's... <laughs> this is kind of shitty to say, but I have an assumption that she's probably a terrible person. She feels like she's a terrible person. I don't know that she is or not, but she feels like super... It's always created by Genji Cohen. It's like this fucking cult of the fucking thing, but whatever. 
Um, so I was fascinated by Orange is the New Black. Um, that is that falls flat, man. That's that's yeah. horseshit. That thing. I, I yeah, I know this is a controversial opinion because people rave about that show. I, I it feels so artificial to me. Oh. It feels like you're watching this, especially after shows like The Wire and some of these fucking more even Oz for fuck's sake. recent recent shows. It just feels really scripted. It's so flat. And, and I know that there different journalistic out, outlets have had women who've really been in prison comment about all the unrealistic things, and you know you can take it to task for that. I just it wasn't wasn't for me, and I know people rave about it, but um, and you know you, you could say something like a historical drama like Peaky Blinders, which I happen to love, which is something that Netflix has done. I I think maybe in partnership with the BBC as well. Um, huh. I think that show's amazing. For, yeah, you've said that. For I, anyone who loves, once again, if you love Boardwalk Empire, Peaky Blinders, super good. Cillian Murphy, Killian Murphy, however you say it. Yeah, yeah. Really great. He's the lead. Well, like I said, Tom Hardy comes in season two. They have some serious actors. Um, Sam O'Neill, I think his name really? is, plays like kind of the antagonist. Uh, it's... For anyone who's into crime, who's into, you know, it's like crime set in Birmingham. In, before the turn of the century? Uh, just post-World uh, post War One. Oh, so after, okay. And these guys are like, uh, you know, Irish gypsies, you know, who have, you know, come settled in Birmingham. They're kind of taking over the whole, like, organized crime scene. Not a welcome, not a no, welcome not, demographic. Not, not very welcome. <laughs> right. There's, like, they haven't penetrated London yet, so there's, like, London is controlled by more sort of, like, a more traditional sort of crime family. Um, horse racing, it's got horse racing. It's uh-huh. got all sorts of, like, you know, period costumes. Super cool, super amazing, oh, really man. well acted. Yeah, um, really well done. One season's out. It's dark. Two seasons, and that's Two the other thing. It's dark. Netflix. They are. Uh, it's really dark. Killer. Uh, that's the other thing that it's about Netflix and and Amazon to a certain extent as well is they're putting this content out so fast. It's, I know it's crazy. It's great. So you know, never and never like has. Fucking viewing been so good. Like, I mean, I, people have been saying this for 10 years since the Sopranos are out, but it has continued to just get. It's so good. You gotta pick, even more so than ever, you gotta pick and choose. Well, there's something interesting as well about the whole. Like, you used to be able to binge watch The Wire or The mm-hmm. Sopranos, but you couldn't be ahead of the curve and binge watch it. Now, the way Amazon and Netflix do it, the whole season drops at once. You could sit there and watch it all from the minute it releases. You could be the first person to finish it, and you've seen every single episode. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. something for better or worse. For better or for worse, but it's an interesting new way of consumption, right? It is, absolutely. Yeah. So other Netflix shows that I've seen, uh, they did a, they've got a couple crime, couple crime things, um, one set in England, uh, but the one that I think is standout is set in Northern Ireland. It's called The Fall. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It has um, Gillian Anderson plays a British detective who's on loan from London to this uh, um, police precinct in Northern Ireland in Belfast. And it's 
one of it's it's a more of a serial killer story, but it's one of the best serial killer stories that I've seen, especially come out of like the UK. Really, it's really good. Two seasons and and you're done. It's small amount of episodes, sort of UK style. Okay, you're talking like four, maybe five episodes, longer episodes, like an hour episodes. Okay. Really good. Starts out with like she's in there as missing persons, right? Um, or or, they, or do they know off the bat? I, did they find bodies? I don't remember. I saw like I saw a little yeah, bit. Of, I I, I'm seen trying it. to remember how it kicks off as well. It's been a while since I watched the first season. There was a little more of a lag on that one between the first and second seasons, but it's all out now. You can watch the entire thing. Really good. That's the fall. The fall. Yep. Now the killing. Um, we yes. we talked about this briefly the other day. Um, I got, I think five episodes into that and. And gave it the boot. Um, was it wasn't doing it for you. it was just which is I think another interesting thing that Netflix is doing and the killing I think is a good example of this is shows that start off on other networks that have a cult sort of following. Yeah, they might not be and which the killing started on AMC. They might not. Have, they're not gonna. They don't have the same level of following, or maybe they have more of a long tail to viewership. They kind of are a slower burn for one reason or another. They're harder. They're not as accessible to mainstream audience. But over time, shows like The Wire, you know, have had a very long tail. Mm. I still hear from people who are just discovering The Wire, which I, I watched that, like, as it was coming out. I'd heard is George Pelicanos, the crime writer who's, you know, different from different but similar to Lehane. He's doing, all, he sets all his books in D.C., whereas Lehane sets all of his stuff in Boston, but they're, they're both contemporaries. Uh, he was producing that show, and he oh, pulled yeah, in yeah. like a who's who of crime fiction writing on that thing. It's so, it, well, now it's, they've just re-released um, it in 69. In 69. I remember I had just gotten an HD TV, and I was watching Deadwood in HD, and the wire was like a thorn in my side, but the wire was <laughs> really? not in HD. Because you'd yeah. watch this like gorgeous Deadwood wire would come on right afterwards and you'd like, hear it goes shrinks fun. down yeah. into this letterbox thing and everything's all blurry. We so, should save we should save that for the next like yeah. another one. We gotta do, I mean HBO obviously. We'll, we'll talk about the, the what all the stuff HBO is. In the doing. wire too, yeah. We'll have to, I mean that's Christ, we could talk about that forever. So I have to say this was, I thought was going to be more on the, the Lilyhammer tip. Marco Polo. Have you watched Marco Polo? <laughs> no. No. It's actually really good. I, I thought what it was going to be. terrible. I thought what it was going to be. What was that? Uh, uh, I thought it was going to be like Spartacus from Stars. I thought it was going to be like, this is going to be like. So shitty. Like TNA yeah. and like Gladiator style. It's like 300. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like. 300 with, but like, with more sex. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And uh, so I went into Marco Polo, and it, it, it has that vibe at first because the Khan, uh, who's a descendant of Geng- Genghis Khan, has, like, a harem, and they sh- he walks down this, like, line, or his advisor walks down this line of naked women. I was like, oh, here we go. This is, like, Spartacus yeah, yeah. all over again. It's really well done, actually. I, I find it, it's not, like, the most amazing drama or the most amazing television you're ever going to see, but it's much better than Spartacus. It's, it's much more historical. It's about, like, 
I feel like I'm learning so much about that period of um, Chinese history and really? Mongolian history and, and all that kind of stuff. Just stuff that you never really learned about and talked about in the way China is divided at this point. There's one basically walled city that um, the Khans were never able to conquer, and it's like a thorn in this guy's side. And Marco Polo is like one of his advisors who's telling it like it is, not telling him what he wants to hear. And... Um, trying to open up trade routes. He's just trying to like... Really? You know, he is trying to befriend this guy, but he's also trying to like make his own way, you know, get, get a game going for himself. And Is there a whole episode out? I mean, sorry, a, a season? A whole season. Yeah, there's one season out. There's some, some pretty awesome war stuff. Is, yeah, that's what, that was what um, I was curious some, about. There's some good battle stuff. I mean, we're not talking like Ron level of like... But there's some, some polish and... A lot of it is like... Shit's expensive. Yeah, you see the hint of the big battle and then you see the aftermath. So right, they, right. they like shortcut some of that stuff. Yeah. Um, but not in a way that feels like you feel cheated. Yeah, you see more of like the individual hand-to-hand. There's a killer character in it who's a blind monk who's like... There's like the right amount of like kung fu and the right amount of sword play. It feels like... like Sanabichi type shit? Yeah, kind, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. It's, it's cool. Jesus. Yeah. Anyways, Marco Polo... If you like, if you're looking for something a little lighter, a little less serious, but that's still really well done and entertaining, I highly recommend Marco Polo. Fucking a! All right, yeah, so, we'll give that a go. Yeah, Netflix. Um, they're doing. They're, they're doing it, and they've got way more stuff coming out. There are big things on the horizon for them as well. Yeah. House of Cards season three is about to drop. Season two was really great. I'm really looking forward to season three. House of Cards has been amazing. Oh, obviously God, that's so the thing good. that's like made their name. So it has. And Transparent did really well at the award shows. It did it. So Amazon as well is like they're coming out of the gates blazing. So I oh. expect huge things from both Amazon and Netflix moving forward. I, I would watch. It give anything a shot that either of them is putting out because they've probably done their homework, figured out not only that it's going to be a success, but they've got, they're working with some of the best talent. The content producers want to go to them because their stuff gets out much faster and they have more artistic control. The length doesn't matter. One episode can be 47 minutes. The next one can be 53. They don't care. Yeah, totally. uh, So anyways, to wrap that up, do it, do it, yeah, why not? And support it. I mean, not that they need your fucking $10 or whatever, but, I mean, at least it's another channel. And I think, like, just starting to think about content coming in from other places other than fucking HBO or, you know, AMC, it's great, right? Yeah. Because they have different Absolutely. goals. It's just going to... It's going to be the tide that raises all boats, honestly. Yeah. Everyone's going to have to up their game. Everyone's going to have to be doing great stuff. I mean, we're definitely in a golden era of television, if you want to call Netflix and Amazon, whatever you want to call it. Whatever you want to call it. Because AMC and HBO and Showtime and people like that were definitely pushing it. They were the first wave of great stuff, especially HBO was at the forefront. And now... There's just more competition. There's going to be more great stuff, and it's going to be the like I said, the tide that raises all boats. Yeah, so looking forward. There's going to be lots of great stuff, I'm sure. Yeah. All right. So last section. How are we doing? We're a little over an hour here, so Fuck we might have to really? shortcut. Wow. This last section a little. I bit didn't long. know we would go this long. I didn't either. So Fuck I guess we got a lot to say about this. Lots stuff. of talking. Let's. We can. I think this one can be kind of. Yeah. Short and sweet. A so, little bit of a summary. We want to do a little different, uh, something on the music front. So what we wanted to talk about was uh, the music 
that we listened to senior year of high school. So this one, we're waxing nostalgic a little bit here. For sure, yeah. But as I was saying to you the other day, I think not like, I'm not spinning these records all the time, but I still listen to a lot of the stuff that I was listening to in high school. Most people, that's probably true for. High school so? and college is, you know, for a lot of people, I think it's their formative years of like, they're forming their music taste. They're, I mean, I've definitely moved on from the stuff I listened to in, in high school, and I listened to very different stuff in got into a lot of jazz and blues in, in undergrad and really kind of explored. I mean, I, I'm a huge fan across most genres of music. I was more into strictly punk rock when I was in high school. Right. Punk rock, and I started listening to, got really into Public Enemy. My senior year, that was the other thing. Yeah. Fear of Black Planet, I spun that all the time. Dude, yeah. I think, I, I mean, I don't know if, I don't know if everybody did. I mean, and... Full disclosure, I think you and I tend towards, in a lot of things, we, we share, we have a lot of things in common, you know, with this, with most things, but in, as far as like, you know, music and movies and books, which is obviously why we're doing this thing, but I mean, um, yeah, as far as music goes, I think Public Enemy, like Fear of a Black Planet for me, like, I mean, was huge. And it was like, it was allowed white kids to be able to listen, like, you were, it was the first sort of hip-hop that was, like, big enough that it had exposure that, I mean, N.W.A. was there, too. You're always, you're always just kind of like, oh, God, this is, this is fucking, I'm cranking this fucking thing. And you feel fucking ridiculous. It's like office space, right? You yeah. crank on the fucking thing, and you're like, I have no connection to this whatsoever. But you love it, you know? Right, absolutely. But Public Enemy, on the other hand, um, was very political um and less in the weeds right so you're that was huge um so yeah i was um not like hard punk rock at first so if we're going to talk just about senior year um it was um ramones smiths um the cure you know that stuff was kind of on the that was what was making up day to day um, then P- Peter Gabriel for sure was like huge, huge. Oh my God. Well, listen, dude, <laughs> huge. And to this day is like Desert Island for me. Wow. Did we never talk about no, this? No, we never talked about this. That is, that Are is you a serious? bold move, my friend. Dude, I don't, I mean, for Are me. You, were you holding up boom boxes outside <laughs> girls in windows? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Huge. Like, I mean, I, I could never stand Genesis, but um, but Peter Gabriel, like, all of it became, is huge. And to this day, I mean, I don't think a day goes by that I don't listen to a Peter Gabriel song. Not a day. I have absolutely every fucking thing he's ever done. In, not, not in every format, but everything on vinyl. I have it from multiple countries. Like, I have... Digital, like I have gigs and gigs and gigs of Peter Gabriel, and he started senior year. So for me, that was a huge thing. And you think <laughs> you think that's bad? Crowded house, enormous, enormous. They started for me like probably like sophomore year in high school. Um, and I was a Split Ends fan. I love the spl- I love the Split Ends. Um, you know, and then as I mean, Crowded House had already formed at that point, um, but huge for me. Neil Finn and Crowded House, and to this day, they're another one. 
Like they were enormous to me in, in senior year mm-hmm. and have never, that's never waned. I'm still oh, always with them. Wow. N- not easy to admit to. I, I, I <laughs> but I mean, at this point, I'm used to I, I don't give a shit. I would say I was much closer in to like, I, and, you know, earlier on, it was like Dead Kennedys, The Misfits, like yep. some of that like early 80s, 90s, seven seconds. Stuff mm. like that, uniform choice, like a whole bunch of stuff, stuff like that. Um, and later it was much more like, kind of more, I hate to say refined, but stuff like Fugazi, where you felt like yep. these people are like, actually you have there's like, some learned to play their instruments, and, and yeah. there's some craft, and there's some rec- like recording value. So it was people like, I mean, certainly Green Day didn't know how to play their instruments that well, but Green Day before they blew up. Uh, I was a big Descendants fan because they had a oh, connection yeah. to Madison where I grew up. So and then they kind of morphed into All. So I listened to All. Nirvana uh, was big. That was right towards the end of high school. Huge this was when Bleach went out. We went on a like a trip to Canada for school, and we got turned on to. I got some Nirvana seven inches in an independent record store in Toronto. No way. And got turned on to Nirvana, and then I got Bleach from there. Yeah. Um, we were listening to stuff like. Um, the Goo Goo Dolls as well like mm-hmm. while they were still independent before they blew up and started making videos about runaway kids and <laughs> totally, <laughs> all that yeah. shit so and then the thing that sidetracked me into like more cliched sort of cheesy high school territory was I was dating this girl who and I don't know if you experienced this you're dating a girl this is the era of like passing mixtapes back and forth oh for sure making, yeah. making mis- mixtapes oh yeah Expressed your deep and heartfelt teenage it love. It was the best. It's the yeah. best. And yeah. I would make like mixtapes for her and put Husker Du and Fuck Fugazi yeah. and oh, yeah. all this stuff. On, like shit she'd never heard of in, in a million years. But then I would get back mixtapes with Bob Marley, Erasure, The Grateful Dead, The Doors. Oh. So I and I was like driving around with her and I was listening to this stuff. And at first, I would, like wanted to blow my brains out, but then, yeah. like, I'll admit, I, I was like, eh, this is sort of like a guilty pleasure. I got into it a little bit and was like, yeah. Bob Marley's legend, you know, just like every high school kid is like, oh, yeah. Sure. Discover Bob Marley, and you think you're, like, you know. It's a, he's a gateway drug, thank God, yeah. you know, into real stuff. For sure. Oh, yeah, with bad brains. Uh, well, yeah. Speaking I mean, of which, like, yeah. legit, you know. Yeah. A lot of the, like, you know, Anything that was on Discord, we were listening to. Discord, for sure. SST. Well, for me, like, I mean, if we're just, I have to be honest, like, if it was just senior year, that stuff came right after me, because Nirvana led me into, um, you know, they were, between the Ramones and um, the Descendants, that led me into, you know, who knows, this is pre-internet, so your tendrils are, they they spread in a different fashion, so... You know, the, the Nirvana, Nirvana leads you to, like, the Vaselines because they covered, right. you know, because they cover yeah, a Vaseline yeah. song. And then you're like, oh, right. And then I learned about Wire. And then it was Stiff Little Fingers. And then, you yeah. know, it, jumping around after yeah. that. Operation Ivy. Operation Ivy. Nirvana led me to Screaming Trees. That was one of the things. Yes. Like, one of the well, that whole scene up there. That, yeah. that yeah. whole scene became, yeah. like, the light was, was on everybody. Soundgarden. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Mud Honey. That was which that was the best thing. You know, Mud Honey was a huge discovery. Yeah, out of you know from Nirvana. Yeah, one of my really good friends was super into Mud Honey. I I like 
I thought they were all right. I first for some reason they never personally clicked for me, but I right. knew I had friends that were super into Mud Honey. Yeah. So you know, it's it's funny the way you're like, you know, you have your world is so small. It, it's time. I know. You know, and it's really there's so much, all so much there's so much peer pressure to conform to what your friends yeah are listening to, and your immediate peer group is listening. All my friends were like skateboarding punk kids. Yeah. We were, we were going to punk shows. We were going to small punk shows with local Jeez, bands and touring bands. Rollins, super into Rollins. Sure. Oh, my God. All yeah. The Rollins spoken word stuff, the Rollins band and the Black Flag stuff. And yeah, was, well, it's counterculture, so yeah. that was your scene. Totally. I was not know where the fuck I was going. I mean, I had, like, I, I, I where I grew up was fucking terrible. I hated it. So it was, like, anything that wasn't... What all the fucking chocks were listening to, even though I was still like, it's not like I was complete counter. I still needed to try and be a part of that world too. Like I played football, it's fucking terrible, but still like needed because I was afraid that I would lose. You know, I didn't know where the fuck I was going. So they're listening. I, I swear to God, like we'd be out of practice in a fucking salt and pepper, and I'm like, are you shit? This is how you're being a fucking tough guy. Or on the way to the game, they're playing like we are the fucking champions, my friend, the fucking queen shit. I'm like, this dude. Is th- are you kidding me? You're listening to this? All, all the basketball kids at my high school were so into MC Hammer. <laughs> right? What the fuck? So into MC Hammer. What the fuck? And they all wore like the hammer pants and all that stuff. And we were just like, what I mean, the they looked at us like fuck? we were from another planet with our skateboards and vans and all yeah. that stuff, airwalks, and fucking oh. Tony Hawk haircuts. Yeah, I had yeah. A Tony Hawk haircut for like the majority of high school. Exactly the same as his hair. Of course you Shaved and the fucking wedge in the back and flipped over to one side. <laughs> they were looking at me like, and I, same thing, I played on the hockey team and we'd go in the locker room and people would listen to fucking, can't, you can't, can't touch this and all that shit. It was just like, oh my God. What the fuck? And then there were like the metal kids that were super into Slayer. Right? Yeah, I had way more respect and way more affinity with those kids than I did with the kids listening to like the jock jams. Oh stuff. my god! So this has actually been more painful than I thought it would. This has been worse. <laughs> thinking of this fucking—it's not entirely pleasant. <laughs> no, it's not to go back and just remember how awkward life was. It's and, terrible, actually. Yeah. Also, it was different because you you had. S- your access was so more limited. I mean, you were like oh well, yeah, dubbing tapes and you know CDs. Now it's like you, it's it's a di- you have a different sort of relationship with music in the Spotify world and the Pandora world and all that kind of stuff. It's like For you sure. just dial anything up, you make a million playlists, you're passing playlists back and forth, and yeah. everyone's DJing off their iPhone. It's just a it's a very different relationship. I mean, not to mention vinyl and all that kind of stuff. We'll talk about that stuff some other time. We will. So, all right, any final thoughts? Not really. I think this was super fun. I think we, we're going to have to... we got to tighten this shit up. Yeah. This is fucking a ramble. I don't know. <laughs> like, I mean, it's super fun. I just hope that other people... I don't know. I, I want to make sure that, like, the contagious, like, parts of our conversation... That's what I want to do. I want to distill it and make sure that we're, like... People are getting, like, you know, the enthusiasm that we have, you know... It, this is our first shot at it, so I, I yeah. think we're, you know. All right. Well, forgive us as we <laughs> as we work out this format. Yeah. And uh, thanks for listening to Good Looking Out. You yeah. can email at us. Uh, email at us. You can email us at goodlookingoutpodcast at gmail or follow us on Twitter at glo podcast. And remember, life is too short to waste time and money.